Once again, let's start by uh, rehearsing the commands that we've learned uh, with, along with our mnemonic device. Uh, we've made it through five commands, and so you know four already, and then we're going to add a fifth to uh, your repertoire this morning. And so if you can hold up one finger, you remember that the first commandment is, you shall have no other gods besides me. Right? No other gods, God alone. And then we do the wolf pack kind of symbol. Uh, this is make no graven images, don't bow down or worship false gods. Uh, third commandment, we do the, the Katniss Everdeen thing here, Hunger Games, right? Don't take the Lord's name in vain. Don't misuse the Lord's name. You take those three fingers to your lips and then you can take them away. We're not going to misuse the Lord's name. Uh, the fourth commandment, I did kind of this. I took two fours on both hands and just kind of rested like this, like you're going to take a little nap. And say We're going to rest is what's behind the Sabbath, so keep the Sabbath day holy. Remember it. And then today is the fifth, and so you can take all five of your hands uh, and you do a little salute. I don't know which side you're supposed to do it on, uh, but, and I don't even know if you use all five fingers. But for this, we're going to, uh, and it'll be a salute, and we'll remember to honor our mother and father. And so we're halfway there. We've got our little mnemonic device, and we are remembering or learning the Ten Commandments uh, because they teach us how we can love God back in response to how he has loved us Hilda, you sneaked in here too. Y'all are sneaking in on me today. I'm happy to see you. (laughs) Honor your father and mother. And our main idea this morning is this. We are to honor God by honoring those in authority. We're going to talk about the command, what it means for parents, and what it means for those who have parents, which I think is probably all of us. Three parts, the command parents, and children. Let's pray together, and we'll get started. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to gather here and submit ourselves to your word. Pray that you would be um, revealing to us by your Holy Spirit sins that, that we have hidden in the dark corners of our hearts, that we might turn from them and be reconciled with you once more. Father, we pray that um, for those in here who do not yet know you, that you would be uh, subtly working on them to crack open their hearts that they might see and believe. Lord Jesus, we, we thank you for living the life we should have lived and dying the death we should have died. We thank you for rising again so that we can have the hope of resurrection ourselves. You are our surety. You are our refuge. We pray that you show us your strength once more again this morning as we consider uh, your word and how it applies to us. Help us to come underneath of the text humbly rather than arrogantly standing over it. Help us not to read into your word what we might like to be there, but to hear your voice. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's set the stage a little bit once more. Remember, we walked through the whole book of Exodus, and now we've doubled back to take a look at the ten words or the ten commandments. And the context of this little scene is God has drawn the people out of slavery and out of Egypt and into relationship with 
himself, we see that God saves his people from something for something, from slavery for relationship. And they're standing at the foot of Mount Sinai after all those miracles in Egypt, after traversing the wilderness. And now they are going to hear from God himself. And if you remember the scene, you know that the mountain is shaking along with the people. There are the sounds of trumpets, there's lightning and thunder. The mountain is enveloped in smoke, and it's quite the scene. And and God has begun speaking to the people directly. We drop down onto this conversation, into this conversation in verse 12, where we read, Honor your father and your mother, so that you may have a long life in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. All right, the first thing is first. We have to define this word honor. Uh, What does it mean? I think to honor someone means to give them the proper uh, weight or respect that is due to their position. Uh, And notice I said respect due to the position rather than uh, the person, uh, because sometimes people in positions of authority are not always honorable. But still we honor them because the position that they hold has ultimately been given to them by God. Now I know there are, are some among us who have suffered unspeakable abuse under the misused authority of some, uh, and even our parents. And before we get started, I want to say uh, to you, uh, I am sorry for uh, the pain that you have endured at the hands of those who should have loved you. And I don't want to minimize or or trivialize that pain. Um, uh, Respect for authority never, ever means staying in an abusive situation or um, putting yourself in a position that you could be harmed in. But all that said, what I want you to know is this command is still for you. Its application might look a little bit different, but this command is still for you. There's no exception clause for those of us who have awful fathers and mothers. We're all called to honor those that God has put in authority positions in our life. Uh, in, In the military, I think, I haven't been in the military, but I've heard they have a phrase called salute the uniform. And what it means, or is supposed to mean, is that even though I might not have a lot of respect for the person that's wearing the uniform, I respect them anyway because of their position and the authority behind that position. And so so here's the point. Even if you can't respect your parents as individuals, you can still show a level of respect to the position they hold and the authority behind it. Because when you honor your parents... You are honoring the God behind your parents. Jenny Ortland writes, We mistakenly believe that we give respect to those in positions of authority because they've earned it. But respect cannot be based solely on personal or professional qualifications. Respect is based on the position that God has given to that person. You see, how we respond to earthly authorities reflects our posture towards God's authority, because he's king of everything, and he sets up the kings that are here on earth. He sets up earthly authorities. He's the authority behind all authority. How we respond to our parents as one of those first primary authorities in our lives will reflect ultimately how we are responding to God. See, in in a learning about honor and respect for authority must begin in the home. Because the home is where everything begins, right? Home is where people are made. 
There's hardly anything that forms or influences our relationship with God like our relationship with our parents does. I mean, for a while, especially when we are young, our parents stand in for God. We'll talk about more, more about that in a moment. But, but the home is where we learn authority, responsibility. It's where we learn right from wrong and where we first feel what it is to be valued and cherished and loved unconditionally. It's where we feel safety and security. Home is where we're made. And this is why God starts the, the fifth commandment, the, or the, it, typically we... You've probably heard break apart the Ten Commandments into two tables, right? And the first four are about loving God, and the next six are about loving neighbor. And and that's a really good device. Um, But I think the reason God starts kind of the second table here with the fifth commandment is because it's a hinge commandment, right? It it has uh, those vertical dimensions of the first four commandments as well as real horizontal dimensions. Because in it, we learn both about how to... uh, honor our parents and our relationship with our parents, but also we are honoring God and learning about our relationship with God. And so this command has a vertical and a horizontal dimension. Learning to honor our fathers and mothers, God's representatives in the home, teaches us to honor God himself. And so to honor your parents is to obey God right? That's not all the commandment means, though. That's its narrow meaning. We've said all of the commandments have a narrow application and a broad application. More broadly, the command shows us that not only should we respect our authority in the home, but also every authority in every sphere of our lives. If children learn respect in their homes, they will be able to respect people in positions of authority. And so what we see is if the people obey Deuteronomy 6, verses 5 through 7, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, and these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. If the people love God and teach their children to love God by teaching them to obey his law, and particularly the fifth commandments, then things are going to go well for the people of Israel. I mean, that's the promise part of this commandment. It's in Exodus 20, verse 12, where we are, Honor your father and mother so that you may have long life in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Uh, Deuteronomy, uh, which is second law, we've said is what that means, is the second giving of the law. Moses adds this to it in Deuteronomy 5, 16. He says, Honor your father and mother so that you may prosper in the land. And so I call this the Star Trek commandment. If you keep it, you get to live long and prosper. That's the promise for Israel that they'll live long and prosper. The promise of long life in Palestine, however, does not apply to us, right? We're, we're not Israel. It's specific to them. Uh, Paul, in the New Testament, when he reiterates this commandment, tells us that we should keep it because it is right and because it pleases God. And so we can't get out from under it. It's reiterated. This is a, a moral command rooted in God's holy character. And so it's for us. But, but even in Israel, this promise of long life in the land was to be understood corporately rather than individually. As Americans, we like to look at a, a passage like this and read, this means it's for me. And so if I honor my parents, I'm going to live a really, really long life. Like, no, that, that promise is for Israel, and it was a corporate promise. And it works a little bit like some of the Proverbs do, uh, so that its application is general rather than 
specific. All that to say, there could exist situations in Israel wherein someone didn't honor their parents, but they lived a really, really long time. Or someone did honor their parents, and they died young. Right? It's not necessarily an indication of how well you honored your parents. It's just a general principle for the whole people of Israel. God is telling the whole nation that if they honor their parents, their community will flourish and their nation will thrive. You see, the family is the fundamental building block of society. And if it is healthy and intact, then the community will be healthy. If children learn to honor the authority of their parents in the home, then they're going to learn to honor the authority outside of the home. And that's why the whole community is interested in the keeping of this commandment and why the punishment is so severe. I mean, in Israel, if you don't respect your parents, you might die. Right? Exodus 21:17. Whoever curses his father or mother shall be put to death. How many of you would have made it out of high school under that system? I certainly would not be here. Deuteronomy 21. If a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who does not obey his father and mother and will not listen to them when they discipline him, his father and mother shall take hold of him and bring him to the elders at the gate of his town. Then all the young men of the town shall stone him to death. You must purge the evil from among you. All Israel will hear of it and be afraid. The honoring of mothers and fathers is a public issue in Israel. It is a civil crime to dishonor your parents. The community saw an assault on the family as an assault on the public good. Because if you unravel the family, you unravel society. If they are rebellious in the home, they will be rebellious outside of the home. And so Israel's well-being as a nation was wrapped up in its well-being as individual family units. And so as we've said, the home is where people are made. And the fifth commandment is about God's people learning to love and honor him by loving and honoring his representatives in the home, which brings us to his temporary stand-ins. Parents, if you are a parent, you are the first and most constant picture of God that your children have. And you temporarily stand in for God in the lives of your children. I mean, let it sink in for a minute because it's going to change how you carry out your role as a mother or a father. Uh, think of it like this. It's not, a, not my best illustration ever. Uh, but when I got Chelsea an engagement ring and put it on her finger, uh, the ring didn't make us married, right? It served as, as a temporary placeholder for the wedding ring that was coming. But what happened was when other people in our community saw this ring, uh, especially potential suitors, uh, they would then not hit on her, right? They, oh, she's, she's bound to another. And it's because, not because she was married yet, but because they're looking at this engagement ring and they're going, oh, there's an authority behind that engagement ring. She's, she's pledged herself to another. And so when, when they honored the engagement ring, they were honoring the covenant behind it. They were honoring the covenant that it represented or took the place of. It was a temporary placeholder until the true covenant was made. And likewise, parents will stand in God's place of authority by teaching their children to honor the God behind their authority. That's, that's our task as parents, is to teach them to honor the God that is behind our own authority. 
So, so mom and dad, you represent God to your children. You represent him to them in your home, and you are to be about the task of discipling them. Uh, discipling is simply helping someone else to follow Jesus. That's, that's your job as a parent, to help your children to learn to follow Jesus. And it just, I mean, that's the goal. And so in your role as parent, as a temporary stand-in for God, you are to, to teach your children about God. And you do this quite naturally in a lot of ways, right? You teach them about God's goodness in creation when you tell them where they came from ever so delicately, right? Like mommy and daddy wanted to share our love with you, and so we did what was necessary uh, to bring you into our lives. Maybe limited details on that one. But, but this teaches them that they don't exist in and of themselves, that their existence was contingent upon mommy and daddy. They learn that they exist in the long run because God wanted them to, not because they decided they would be born. You also teach them about God's provision. You feed them, wipe them, bathe them, hold them, sing over them, smile at them, celebrate their development. Everything they have is because of you. And this teaches them about how God meets all of their needs. And that ultimately, everything they have is from God. I mean, you teach them about God's gracious love. You love them despite their imperfections. You love them when they cry and whine and throw a fit sometimes. You love them when you wake up in the middle of the night because they're afraid and you hold them close and they feel the security of your arms. I mean, you love them with those magic kisses that only mommy has when they skin the knee and they need their knee to be better. I mean, you love them ultimately for no other reason except for the fact that that they're yours. Right? You hear all the time, oh, you might not like kids, but you'll like your own kids. You love them because you're your, they're yours. And in this, they learn about how God loves them in Christ simply because they are his. It teaches them that God's love is unwavering and wonderfully pleasant. I mean, you teach them about God's good authority. You show them the difference between right and wrong. Submission to your rules keeps them safe. Obedience to your words brings them joy. Listening to your commands brings about their good and your delight. And from this, they learn that God's authority is good. That his words bring joy. And that obedience to his command is for their good and God's glory. The list goes on and on here, but but you, you get the idea, right? Your children are going to learn what God is like from you. What kind of lessons are you teaching your children? In teaching your children to honor your authority, you are teaching them to honor God's authority. And and I think this has implications for how we discipline. First, it means that we discipline as parents. Uh, Don't want little hobbit demons running around. Second, it means that the goal of discipline for our children is, is not to make ourselves feel better or force them to obey us or to control them. But, but the goal of discipline is that our children would learn to properly respond to God's authority. J.D. Greer says it this way, When my children disrespect or disobey me, I don't get upset with them because they've disrespected me. I get upset because they are learning to disrespect the God behind me, the God that I temporarily represent. 
My discipline should not be an attempt to keep them under my control or to punish them for annoying me or making life difficult for me or embarrassing me, but to bring them to God's authority. When you get angry at your kid, what is it usually about? Is it because they've inconvenienced you or annoyed you or embarrassed you or or broken something that upset you? Or is your anger godly, righteous, loving anger? that is grieved at how their little hearts are in rebellion against God. You see, my reaction to the behavior of my children should never be, how does this affect me? But what is going on in their hearts toward God? Uh, For example, there has been on more than one occasion uh, times wherein I've told Elliot not to push over his little brother. And that upon exiting the room, uh, my, had my retreat halted by the screams of his little brother who had been pushed over, right? And, and as I walk in, I can see Owen on the floor, you know, tears coming out of his eyes. But Elliot is nowhere to be found. What's he doing? Well, he, he's defying and he's hiding from me in guilt and shame. He is repeating the actions of the Garden of Eden repeating the actions of our father, Adam. See, I don't want him to learn to respond to God's authority by rebelling against it and hiding from it. I want him to respond to God with glad-hearted obedience. And when he does sin, I want him to confess and repent and enjoy reconciliation. How are your children learning to respond to God from you? If your kids don't learn to feel the love and forgiveness that God has for them from you, they might not ever learn it at all. Parents are tasked with representing God to their children, raising their children to love God, and to return them to God. And there comes a point when uh, parents must return their children to the God who entrusted them to you. Which means when when, uh, your kid moves out of the house, this is an exciting time. I don't have to tell many of you that, right? This is good times. It means not trying to control every aspect of their lives, where they live, who they marry, where they go to school, if they go to school, what job they do. I mean, don't be that, that Christian parent that gets mad uh, when their child gets called to the mission field. Rejoice! Don't be that parent who's mad because your child doesn't want to be a doctor or a lawyer. Rejoice whether your child wants to be a doctor, a lawyer, a missionary, or a mailman. Your kids belong to God. They belong to Him first and foremost. And there will come a day when your role as temporary stand-in ends and they are handed over to Him. What more could you want for your child than for them to listen to and obey and love the God who made them? Now, some of you are sitting here going, I'm a little bit older than most of the parents in the room. What on earth does this have to do with me? Right? Some of you feel that parenthood passed you up long time ago, uh, but I want to add a couple of, of wrinkles here uh, of application for you. First one's shorter, second one's a little bit longer. First, consider how you might help other parents be creative. There are many ways you can do this that go beyond uh, giving good advice and babysitting. 
But make a conscious effort to think, how can I bless the parents who are among me? I mean, I remember what it was like to suffer like they're suffering. Figure out a way you can help the parents that are here. Secondly, consider fostering or adopting children that have no parents who have, or parents who have abdicated their role. Some of you are healthy and retired. What better way for you to love the community and care for the marginalized and evangelize the lost than to open up your home and your hearts to children who have no homes and have experienced little love? You want to do something that really matters with your life? Parent someone. Pursue someone that nobody else wants through foster care or adoption. And as a church, we'll help you. It's not, it's not easy. It's scary. It's inconvenient. And it's hard. But friends, we are called to love others as Jesus has loved us. We're called to take up our cross and follow him. And that means dying to ourselves so that we might live like Jesus, who I'm sure was terrified and inconvenienced when he went to the cross. I mean, I'm sure it was not easy to move from uh, just boundless perfection and then plunge himself into our earth, emptying himself of his glory and absorbing the fullness of God's wrath in our place. And that's not easy. In fact, some people would call that madness. I mean, the incarnation is the height of madness. I mean, God becomes a man to live perfectly in our place, to uphold the law, to fulfill the law in our place, and then die for us in our place so that we might live and have relationship with him. I mean, it's crazy. Jesus' rescue of us is scandalous, and it expresses God's crazy love for his people. My prayer, one of my prayers, is that our church would become known as the crazy church. Not in a bad way. Maybe it's already known in that way. I don't know. <laughs> but, but I want us to be known as a crazy church because we are following Jesus fully in ways that seem preposterous to folks that don't know Jesus. Let me share a Ray Ortland quote that I love. He says, We should always live as carefully intelligent people, but if no one ever despises us as crazy for following Jesus fully, do we? Here's what he's getting at. When we are fully committed to following Jesus, many of the things we do are going to look crazy to the world around us. But I think we must stop living as if individuals, we ourselves as individuals, are the center of the universe. And remember that we died to ourselves when we followed Jesus. And that we are not the main character in this story. God is. And we exist to serve him. And so here's the question for you who think that parenthood may have passed you by. The, the summary, I guess the question that has all the other questions wrapped up in it is this. How will I help the next generation follow Jesus? How will I be involved in the spiritual development of the children at my church, in the community, and perhaps even on the other side of the world? Am I willing to bring someone into my home who needs a home? Am I willing to give financially to others that may want to adopt? How can I be involved in taking the gospel to the young? Now, that's some application for those of us who are parents. 
now let's consider those of us who have parents. Children, there are two things we are responsible to do. First, we are to obey for a time. And second, we are to respect for all time. Well, under your parents' authority, that's living at home typically, listen to them. Do it happily. When you honor your parents, you are honoring the God behind your parents. I think some of us offer obedience begrudgingly. Uh, we're, we're like the kid whose mom tells him, sit down, sit down, sit down. And then finally he sits down and he looks at his mom with a smile on his face and says, I might be standing on the outside, but on the inside I'm standing. But don't offer that type of begrudging obedience to your parents. Listen to them and honor them because in so doing, you honor the God who has set them up as an authority in your life. Obey happily. Now some of you are probably going, but what if my parents tell me to do something that is against God's will? Then it is your job to honor the ultimate authority. What I mean is this, the way you can most honor your parents is by obeying God, even if they don't want you to. There's a reason that Jesus made statements like he does in Luke 14, 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, he cannot be my disciple. Christians can never let honoring their parents get in the way of following Christ. The honor we owe our parents can never come at the expense of the honor we owe to Jesus. The point of honoring your parents is to honor the God behind them. If obedience to a parental commandment would mean disobedience to God, then that command should be disregarded. Also, I should probably point out, when Jesus employs the language of hating our parents, he's not nullifying the fifth commandment. He's teaching us a lesson, uh, which is to submit to God's right and good authority. He's, calling, he's not calling us to love our parents less, but to love him exponentially more. Jesus requires that we honor our fathers and mothers by honoring and loving him above everything else. Now there does come a day when we leave our parents' home, which I think is most of us in the room have left mom and dad's home, kind of outside of their authority, but the responsibility of honoring our parents does not end there. How do we honor our parents after childhood? Well, the, the most significant way, I think, is by continuing to pursue relationship with them. And you ask for their advice. Recognize they're not complete fools. I only did that semi-recently in my life. You return their text messages and their phone calls and their emails. It means you include them in your life and you take an interest in theirs. I think the more difficult way that we are to honor our parents is by by caring for them at the end of their lives, as they cared for us at the beginning of our lives. Friends, this is your responsibility. There will come a day when you care for them much in the same way that they cared for you, where you will bathe them, wipe them, clean them, sing over them, celebrate birthdays with them. You know, like when you're really little, mom and dad just put all these little kids around you, and they say, uh, these are your friends, right? You don't, you don't know the difference. Just celebrating your birthday, you don't even know that it's your birthday. But there's going to come a day when you get a bunch of people around them and you say to them, Mom, Dad, these are your friends. It's your birthday. And they're going to have no idea what's going on. But it's your chance to love them well. How we care for our parents in old age might look different from person to person. 
Some of us might have our parents move in with us later in life, and we will really need the church if that happens. Uh, Some of us uh, might simply visit our parents' home or regularly visit a um, care facility. It can look different. But the point is we must care for our parents in old age. Leland Riken writes, When Jesus saw some of the Pharisees refusing to provide for their parents in old age, he accused them of violating the fifth commandment. For God said, Honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses his father or mother must be put to death. But you say that if a man says to his father or mother, whatever help you might otherwise have received from me is a gift devoted to God. He is not to honor his father with it. Thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. See, instead of taking care of their parents, the Pharisees were keeping their money for themselves by playing a little shell game. Say, oh, it's Corbin is, is the word. We, we've devoted it to the temple, and then they would just dip on in there. Mom, Dad, you can't have that money because it's been devoted to God. I can't support you financially because all of my finances are tied up in the temple. And then they would take their hand out of one pocket and put it in the other. Jesus accused them of sin. Children have a responsibility to make sure that their parents get all the physical, medical, spiritual, and emotional care that they need. To honor one's father and mother in these ways is to honor God. Jesus even sets an example for us in this. In in his last hour, he sees his mother. He's on the cross. He's dying for our sins. And he looks up, and this is what we read. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple he loved, that's John, standing there, He said to his mother, woman, this is a loving term of endearment, he's not mad at her, woman, here is your son. Then he said to the disciple, here is your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his home. Jesus is still focused on his serving others as he's dying for us. He makes sure that his aging mother is going to be cared for after his death. Church, take care of your parents. Do not abandon them when they grow weak and helpless. After all, when you were weak and helpless, they cared for you. Again, this is not an easy task, but it's one that can be happily tended to when we uh, make use of the resources we have in the gospel. Two practical things I think you can do. First is... Keep the gospel front and center in your mind. Remember that you are loving your parents as Jesus loves you and as they loved you. Secondly, don't do it alone. If you are in any situation, not just with your parents, any difficult situation, you ought not suffer through it alone. Jesus suffered alone on the cross, utterly forsaken by the Father, so that his people would never have to suffer alone. Remember that he is with you, and he's also saved you out of the world and into his church, so that we might love one another. And in loving one another, the world might look and go, these people are legit. They represent this Jesus. Don't do it alone. Ask for help. And it is, and hear me, it is utterly selfish for you to refuse to ask for help from the church. How dare you deny others the opportunity to show you 
the love of Christ. Part of being a Christian is being humble enough not only to serve, but to allow others the opportunity to serve you. I think too many Christians refuse to ask for help for fear of being perceived as vulnerable or weak or or whatever. That's dumb. Get over yourself. I mean, the gospel says, I am weak. I can't do it. I need Jesus. I need the family of God. Make use of those resources. Ask for help. Give the church the opportunity to be the church by giving us the opportunity to help you with anything. Even caring for your aging parents. Even cutting your grass. Some of you are getting older. That's hard. Ask me to come cut your grass. I'll find someone else to do it, but it'll get done. Help us to care for one another. And in so doing, preach the gospel to one another. Those actions are a statement of the reality of the gospel in our lives. It reminds us that we are all bound together by Christ's service of us. To the principle that we learn in the fifth commandment now. Uh, The principle in the fifth commandment is to honor God by honoring the authorities he stands behind, not only in our homes, but also in our society. And so the question is, have we learned the lesson or the principle of the fifth commandment? Do you honor and submit to the authorities in your life? Do you honor your boss at work? The authority of law enforcement in the community. The authority of your teachers in your school. Your pastors at church. Do you honor offices like the president? And and, and this one got me a little bit because I've always referred to presidents just by their last name and I realized this is a disrespect of that office and of the position they hold. It's a disrespect of their authority. And so what this looks like to respect the office of president, even though you'll probably never meet whoever it is, looks like calling President Obama, President Obama, rather than just Obama. And yes, it will mean calling whomever becomes president on this next week by president whoever when they become president because we respect the office. We honor the authority. And by honoring the authority, we honor the God behind it who raises up kings. Here's the truth, though. Because some of you, I know we had, everybody has different political opinions, but some of you go, man, I really don't like that application. I don't want to call, I don't want to show respect to a president that I don't actually respect. And I think that highlights for us a truth of the fifth commandment, is that people do not like to be told what to do. We don't like to submit to authority. I mean, at the core of the human heart is this impulse to, that says, you can't tell me what to do. It's the anthem of humanity's rebellion against God. You can't tell me what to do. Each of us wants to be the captain of our own soul, the master of our own fate. I mean, there's a natural enmity in the human heart against all claims of sovereignty over it. We feel it rise up, even when just minor claims of authority are made. But especially when Jesus claims ultimate authority. His authority is ultimate and infinite. And he says, surrender everything to me. It demands total surrender of our whole lives. And it's not something that we want to give. It's, it's something no heart unaided by the Holy Spirit can, can do. But Jesus makes this demand rightfully so. 
And he, he died for us. He submitted perfectly to his Father's will. And instead of hearing, I'm proud of you, he heard the silence of judgment. You see, he fulfilled the law for us by obeying his parents and the authority behind his parents perfectly. And then he took the penalty for our failure to keep the law, to live the life we should have lived. Right? We haven't obeyed our parents perfectly. We haven't obeyed the authority behind our parents perfectly. So he took the curse of that law that we might take the blessing that he earned. He earns the blessing and gives it to us. We earned the curse and he takes it from us. He rises from the dead in victory, proving his person and his power, his ability to save. And he says to us, follow me. Take up your cross. Die to yourself and follow me. Jesus died that we might die. We might die to ourselves and live like him in obedience to him. I think Isaac Watts' old hymn gets it right. He writes, See from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did e'er such love and sorrow meet, or thorns compose so rich a crown? Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were a present far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Does Jesus have your soul, your life, your all? In Hidden Christmas, Tim Keller reflects on a talk he heard at a Christian conference, writing, two questions were put to us. First, are you willing to obey anything the Bible clearly says to do, whether you like it or not? Second, are you willing to trust God in anything he sends into your life, whether you understand it or not? If you can't answer these two questions in the affirmative, you may believe in Jesus in some general way, but you have never said to him, I am the Lord's servant. When I was in high school, one of my favorite classes uh, was driver's education. Right? Super fun. Uh, you got to drive around mostly in a parking lot, but every once in a while there was a special day wherein you and two other students would go out on the road with the professor and drive all around the community. It was really exciting times. But I'll, I'll never forget on one of these particular days, uh, I was riding, another classmate of mine was driving, and we were on this, the narrowest of roads, and I kind of had my life flash before my eyes a little bit, I'm not going to lie, uh, and, and she's kind of turning to the left, we're about to go off the road, and the professor very calmly says, a little to the right, and she keeps turning more to the left, a little to the right, more to the left, and then eventually he's, a little to the right! She's still going to the left. And and what he does at that point, upon his final exclamation, is he slams his foot to the ground and he grabs the wheel. And we were all safe. You see, while driving, it seemed as if my classmate was in control of the car. But when something significant came along, it became clear that my instructor was the one who was in control. My classmate's control was illusory. Some of you believe in Jesus in a general way that gives him illusory control of your life, but the reality is that you still call the shots. You still hold veto power on ultimate decisions. You still hold the power to hit the brakes and take the wheel. Friends, Jesus doesn't want illusory control, illusory authority in your life. He wants all authority in your life. He wants to take your foot away from the brake 
And he wants you to get in the back seat. He wants you to take your hands off your life. What area of your life are you keeping off limits to God? What, what do you say to Jesus about, no, this is mine. This is my area. You can't have it. He demands your soul, your life, your all. Applying the fifth commandment means total submission to Jesus' authority in your life. If you are not willing to obey everything the Bible clearly says to do, if you're not willing to trust God in anything he sends into your life, if you've got areas of your life that are off limits to God, then you haven't submitted to him totally. And friends, the lordship of Christ is either total in your life or it is an illusion. Is his rule of you a reality or an illusion? Honor him. The fifth commandment teaches us that we honor God by honoring those in authority. Jesus Christ is the ultimate authority. His is the name to which every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess as Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus is our supreme authority, and we honor him as such by submitting to him totally. Stop listening to your heart. And start listening to God's voice. Subsequently, part of submitting to Jesus' supreme lordship, part of honoring Jesus, is honoring those in authority, especially our mothers and our fathers. Friends, I exhort you to honor God by honoring your parents. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are good and that you have loved us beyond measure. Lord Jesus, we thank you for, come, for coming, living the life we should have lived, dying the death we should have died, and rising from the dead so that we too might rise. Father, this is good news, that where we failed to love you well, failed to live righteously and instead did evil, you came and did good in our place. It's good news that you took the penalty we deserved and died in our place. It's good news that you are now holding our place in the presence of the Father. Father, it's good news that the Holy Spirit lives in us even now. And that in our assembling together to bring you praise and worship, we get a foretaste of that glorious future reality. A foretaste of that wonderful future grace wherein we will live in your presence together in unfathomable joy. Lord, you are our happiness and our true delight. And we honor you together this morning. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.